We're going to begin today by reading. We're going to read from John chapter 16. Uh, we're going to read from verses 5 down to 15. Uh, and then we'll share together for a while this morning. This is Jesus speaking. Not long before his crucifixion, as he began to prepare his disciples for the fact that he was, he was going to die. Uh, and Jesus is speaking to them. We read there's quite a, a discourse in, in John's gospel of, of the last, if you like, the last teaching Jesus brings to his disciples. And this is part of it from John chapter 16, from verse 5 down to 15. Jesus said, Now I'm going to ask him who sent me. Let me read that again. Now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, Where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you uh, that we have it recorded for us, the very words of your son. And we pray that as we study together this morning and consider your word, you will speak to us and teach us uh, and help us to understand. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Holy Spirit has been described as the neglected member of the Trinity, particularly in evangelical churches. And certainly, this is my 12th year here, and we haven't had a series on the Holy Spirit, on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We haven't really looked in depth at who the Holy Spirit is or what he does. And there's maybe a slight hesitancy among evangelical Christians when it comes to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, possibly because... It's difficult for us to get our head around this concept of this, the Holy Spirit who indwells believers. We can understand God the Father in heaven. We can understand Jesus because we've just celebrated Christmas. We understand that he came as a man. We understand how he was born. But it's difficult to understand this concept of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Exactly what are we talking about? And then, in the, particularly in the 20th century, there, there was disagreement amongst evangelical Christians. Um, Pentecostal churches and, and the so-called the charismatic movement, which many of us grew up through, placed much more emphasis on the Holy Spirit uh, than, than maybe other, other evangelical churches. And uh, often there would be a claim of an experience subsequent to, to uh, conversion, to something called baptism in the Holy Spirit or fullness in the Holy Spirit. Um, there's maybe an emphasis on, on three spiritual gifts in particular. There are about 20 gifts of the Holy Spirit mentioned in the New Testament, but particular emphasis on uh, the so-called supernatural gifts or charismata, the tongues, healing, prophecy, and a very exuberant, demonstrative, spontaneous style, style of worship, which maybe wasn't uh, was frowned upon a wee bit by, by, by some other evangelical churches. 
So really, we can fall into two extremes when we come to looking at the Holy Spirit. Um, we can either uh, have an overemphasis on the Holy Spirit, or we can uh, neglect his ministry altogether. Uh, and what, what we want to do is to look for a few weeks together, beginning a little series of the Holy Spirit, and uh, we want to look at what exactly is, uh, who is the Holy Spirit? What, what is his role? What is his ministry? What, what is his role in the, in the church today in our lives? Uh, and we may come from different backgrounds. We may even have slightly different, different views among ourselves here. But what we want to do is look at Scripture. No, not, not what I think or you think or what some other church teaches or what, what, what you, you've read somewhere. But what, what does God in his word tell us? Uh, and so we want to look at uh, what Scripture says to see if we can begin to, to look at the work uh, of, of the, the Holy Spirit and not think particularly about different traditions or, or, or whatever. So first we need to answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit really? Uh, and we want to just look at the identity. Who, who is this Holy Spirit whom Jesus was promising would come to his disciples? Well, if we look at the Old Testament teaching, first of all, the Hebrew word for spirit used in our Old Testament is the word ruach, which simply means wind or breath. Uh, so it's used in ordinary contexts in the Bible. If, for example, if you read in um, Ezekiel, where Ezekiel says, I looked and saw a windstorm coming from the north, that, that is the same word. It's simply the word ruach. It means wind or breath, or in that case, a uh, storm. But when the Bible speaks about the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of the Lord, it always refers to God's activity in the world. So, for example, we read in Genesis, right, uh, at the start, we read, uh, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God the Holy Spirit, right, right back at the start of our Old Testament, God the Holy Spirit who was there eternally uh, with God. Or we read in Judges that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, that's the warrior son of Gilead. The Holy Spirit came upon people at a particular time for a particular uh, purpose. But the Holy Spirit also, look, or beg your pardon, the Old Testament also looks forward to a new age of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, lots of references to, to that. Uh, Isaiah says, I will pour out my spirit on your offering, on your offspring. Uh, and speaking of Jesus, he says, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And, and again, Ezekiel, uh, through Ezekiel, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. And perhaps the best known uh, passage in, in the Old Testament is the one on the screen there from Joel, where God says, Afterwards, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Speaking of, of the Holy Spirit uh, in what we would now call the, the New Testament. And so when we come to the New Testament teaching, uh, we have a Greek word for Spirit, which is the word pneuma, uh, from which we get pneumonia and pneumatic, but it simply means exactly the same. It means wind or breath, exactly the same as Ruach in the Old, in the Old Testament. Uh, but the Holy Spirit comes into much clearer focus as we begin to think of the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. And so we've just been, again, celebrating Christmas and the Incarnation uh, uh, when, when Mary uh, was spoken to by an angel and she said, how, how am I possibly going to be the mother uh, of the Son of God when I'm a virgin? And, and the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Uh, and that is how you will conceive miraculously that this uh, little baby. And the same, the angel spoke to Joseph and said the same thing. When Joseph was concerned about Mary's pregnancy, the angel said, don't worry, this, this child is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit began to be seen much more actively uh, in, uh, in the, the lives of the, the, the believers in the New Testament. And uh, Elizabeth, uh, the mother of John the, the Baptist, uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit. We read this. 
When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, when Mary came to speak to her, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and in a loud voice she she exclaimed, Blessed are you amongst women, and blessed is the child you will bear. And then uh, Elizabeth's husband, uh, Zachariah, once the, the, the baby, once John had been born, then he too, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, praised God. His father, Zachariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. See, here was the Holy Spirit beginning to be involved in the lives of people at the start of, of, of the New Testament as Jesus came into the world. Uh, and then at Jesus' baptism, of course, the Holy Spirit descended on, on, on Jesus like, like a dove. And those words from heaven were heard, This is my beloved Son, uh, with whom I am well pleased. And then after Jesus had been tempted, the Holy Spirit empowers him for ministry. We read that as he goes back into Galilee and begins to minister, begins to teach, begins to work all those miraculous signs that we're familiar with. The Holy Spirit is, is empowering him. And... Jesus also promises the the Holy Spirit to his disciples. Right at at the start of his ministry, the Holy Spirit is empowering him. Right at the end of his ministry, he begins to speak in more detail. We didn't read from John chapter 14, but Jesus promises uh, to send the the Holy Spirit, whom he calls the paraclete or or, or the counselor. This is chapter 14, verse 16. And I I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Jesus, in his farewell message, as he begins to encourage the disciples, he says that God is going to send a counselor, this paraclete. And that is the idea of an advocate on one's case, like a lawyer pleading your case, or like an ally fighting your cause, fighting on your side, someone to come alongside to help you when you need help. The idea of one who strengthens and encourages. Because Jesus wasn't going to be physically present. Um, he was going to return to heaven. And then uh, at Pentecost, we know that uh, after Jesus returned to heaven, the Holy Spirit was poured out, as he had promised. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the early believers, and the early church was formed and empowered to take the message of the gospel to all the world. See, Jesus was present in Judea. He ministered there. But he said to the disciples, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. And I am with you always. Well, how was Jesus going to be with those disciples? Always, he, he was when he was on the earth. He was only in one place at a time. Uh, when he sent out the, the seventy-two to go and speak of him in the different villages, at the end they came back and reported to him. They came back and told him all that had happened. They came back to Jesus. The focus was on where he was, and his followers would go with him. But Jesus said, "I want you to go into all the world." where they wouldn't be able to to just go back to the person of Jesus. They wouldn't be able to go back to ask him for advice or to to tell him what was happening. And that's why he says in the the passage we just read, it is for your good that I'm going away. I've come and I've achieved what the Father sent me for. I have died and paid the price for your sin, and now I'm returning to heaven. But I'm not going to leave you helpless. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you who will empower you and equip you and help you. It's for your own good that I'm going. I've come to do what I promised to do. I've come to do what I set out to do. That's why Jesus on the cross could say, it is finished. But now that he's given the disciples a task, he's going to empower them and equip them. Believers in the world would need the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to go out and to serve Jesus. So what, 
what's the Holy Spirit like? Who is the Holy Spirit? What, what is the nature of him? Well, he's a personal being. The Holy Spirit is not it. We talk, we talk about he. he. He's not an impersonal force, but he's an actual divine being. The Greek word for, for spirit is actually a neuter uh, noun. But in the Greek New Testament, it always speaks of the Holy Spirit as he. He. Uh, and the word paraclete is personal. Uh, it refers to a, a personal agent. That's why Jesus uh, says uh, that he will give you, I'll, I'll ask God, and he will give you another counselor. A counselor like me, a helper like me. Not, not, not a vague spirit, but another counselor uh, as I am. With personal qualities, Paul said in Ephesians, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is, is a person with emotions. And you can resist the power, but you can only grieve a person. The Holy Spirit is, is more than some sort of vague power out there. Um, often we speak of knowing Jesus. We speak of someone coming to faith, coming to know Jesus. Well, we can't know Jesus the way the disciples did, who met him face to face on the shore as, as, as he called them to, to follow him to leave their nets. We can't meet the person of Jesus literally as, as they did, but we can meet the person of Jesus in the Holy Spirit. We can know Jesus through the Holy Spirit whom he has left and we can have a personal relationship with God through him, through the one whom Jesus said, I'm going to send. I'm returning to heaven, and I'm going to send you and the Holy Spirit as your counselor, as your helper, the one who will be beside you, the one who will be with you. But he's more than just a personal being. The Holy Spirit is a divine being. And scripture is very clear about the, uh, the, the deity of the Holy Spirit. He's a member of, of the Godhead. He, is, he shares the divine nature uh, which the Father, which God, and which the Son have. He is God. He is divine. Uh, we read that Jesus sent the disciples out uh, at the start of the church, just before he went to heaven. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And those are exactly the words we use when someone's baptized. We baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Paul, at the end of his letter to, to the Corinthians, said, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. The, the, the triune God, the, the three in one. And that brings us to this, this difficult concept of, of, of the Trinity. Uh, the, the triune God, uh, sometimes we sing that hymn, uh, Holy, 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 and one of the lines is, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. This is the God whom we believe. We know that God, the Creator, God, the Father, uh, has been in heaven from all eternity. Jesus, uh, at the incarnation, came and walked for 30-some years on the earth with us. So we, we had the person of Jesus, who was also divine. And now we have the Holy Spirit left with us. And there's this trinity. And it is hard to get get, your, get our heads around. It's hard for us to understand. I don't know if you've ever seen this diagram of the Penrose Stairs, so-called. It's hard to get your head around that. That's very simple. We picture there. And the man seems to be going up. No matter how many times he goes round and round, he seems to be going up. And it can't be. But that's just the, something that we find it hard to, to, to understand. St. Patrick, of course, famously used uh, the three leaves of the shamrock to explain the Trinity. Three, three leaflets within one leaf, uh, all, all part of the same leaf and all, all, all distinct. In the past, I've used, I know I've shared it with you before, I've used the triple point of water. You probably all remember this from school. Uh, you have to get a bit of chemistry in here. St. Patrick, Patrick didn't use this because he had never studied A-level chemistry. But at... At 0.01 degrees Celsius and 0.00604 atmospheres of pressure, if you have a sealed container like the one on the right, you can have ice, 
and water and water vapor all present. They're all present at the same time. Ice isn't water, and water isn't water vapor, but they're all H2O. They coexist in what we call a stable equilibrium. They're distinct, but they're, but they're the same. Uh, and maybe uh, less trivially, maybe this wee diagram just helps us understand the Father's not the Son, and the Son's not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's not the Father, but they're all God. They're all God. Uh, and we worship a God who is God in three persons. Uh, and God, the Holy Spirit, who indwells us and whom Jesus was living with us, is, is God himself. It is difficult to understand. It's a difficult concept to understand. We're not alone if we think that. Uh, here's what John Stott said in, in, in his wee book, Evangelical Truth. He said, Although it is impossible for our finite minds to understand the pre- precise relations between the three persons of the Trinity, it's essential to remember that they enjoy both the quality within the Godhead and distinct roles. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are God. They are distinct but they are part of the triune uh, Godhead. That's the error, maybe the, the, one of the errors that Jehovah's Witnesses fall into, where they believe that the Holy Spirit is, is not part of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is not divine, but is what they call the invisible active force of God. Well, well they're wrong in two kinds there. The Holy Spirit is more than a force. He, he's a person. And he's the third person of the Trinity. He is God uh, himself. If you're a Christian today, then you're a Christian because God the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to the truth. You may have have looked through and reasoned through. People may have spoken to you. You may have studied the the scripture. But at some point, God the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to the truth of your need of salvation, to the the truth of sin, the reality of sin. If if you're here this morning and and you're not a Christian, you've maybe never really worked this through. You're thinking, well... Maybe, maybe you think, well, I really need to find out more. If, if that's what you're thinking, that is the Holy Spirit speaking to you and urging you to find out more and urging you to find out uh, why God would send Jesus and why it is that, that you need forgiven. That's the Holy Spirit who works and who prompts. People uh, in uh, countries where the gospel can't be readily proclaimed will often hear God speak to them in, in dreams or, or have visions, the Holy Spirit working in, in their hearts. The Holy Spirit is active in, in our world. And if God is speaking to you today, well, as Paul says, don't, don't resist. Don't resist that Holy, Holy Spirit. Don't, don't grieve him. But rather, listen to what he's saying as he points you towards God the Father through God the Son. Maybe you're praying for friends and family and you think, you know, I've talked to them and I've reasoned with them and I've argued and I've looked at all, all every method I can and they just don't seem to get it. Well, pray that the Holy Spirit will open their eyes, open their hearts. Paul said that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the truth of the gospel. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to them. To, to work in, in their lives, to work through them. We get to the point where we, we do have to share our faith, but it's only God's Holy Spirit who can change a heart, change a life, and, and make someone see their real, their real need. Maybe you're a Christian here today, and you, you, you feel weak. Maybe you, you, you feel you, you struggle in your work, you struggle in your life, you struggle with sin, as, as we all do, uh, you struggle with, with, with temptation. Well, ask God by his Holy Spirit to, to empower you to give you that power to live for him, uh, to, to stand up for him, to resist uh, the devil and, and the temptation that he brings. Uh, maybe in our church, 
we, we have to think of that. We have to think of the, the, the power that we need. The church is powerless without the Holy Spirit. Remember those believers, those early the disciples after Jesus was crucified, locked away for fear of what might happen to them. Uh, what, what could happen to them next? Will they be the next to be arrested or, or, or whatever? And after Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, those same few believers uh, transformed our world. They literally did go out and make disciples of all nations. See, without the Holy Spirit, our, our church is powerless. You know, we, we can have the, the, the best church, lovely building, best music and equipment. We get a, a big church with big choirs, whatever, all sorts of different churches, different, different backgrounds, and everything can look great. But if the Holy Spirit is absent, we, we achieve nothing. Uh, it's like you can have the, the fanciest, flashiest car with all the gizmos and gadgets and mod cons, and if you run out of fuel or if your battery goes flat or whatever, that, that car is worth nothing. When the power is, like, is missing, the church achieves, achieves nothing. I think it was David Watson who wrote in, in one of his books uh, that in many, many churches, if the Holy Spirit were withdrawn, that 90% of what happens in the church would go on uh, as if nothing had happened. Because it, it's just us doing things. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work with us in our church. Whatever we may believe, however that may manifest itself in the different traditions, we need the Holy Spirit just as those early disciples needed the Holy Spirit. Far from being the source of controversy and disagreement, the Holy Spirit is what unites us. It's what unites us with believers right around the world. We were praying earlier for Christians in countries that we know very little about, really, apart from what we read. Uh, praying for those, those believers, praying for people serving God. Uh, and it's the Holy Spirit who empowers them and who ultimately builds his church. It's the Holy Spirit who allows us to be Christians, who allows us to be brothers and sisters in God's family. Uh, and without him, we could do nothing. Without him, we would be like those disciples, uh, locked away for fear of, of the Jews and the authorities. So we, we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not one to be uh, afraid of. He's not to cause uh, disagreements or, or to cause churches to fall out with one another. The Holy Spirit is here to empower us uh, as God himself to serve God and to speak to others and to live lives that honor him. We need him in our lives as individuals. We need him in our church. Uh, and we need him in the church uh, globally. And so as we begin to look at this series for these next few weeks, we're going to look at what the Holy Spirit really does, what the Scripture teaches us in more detail. This is only a very brief introduction today. What the Holy Spirit really teaches, how, how he's, uh, what is his role in our world, in our lives, in the lives of others, uh, and how we should be allowing him as the third person of the Trinity to, to govern all that we do uh, and to empower us and to enable us to live lives that honour uh, God the Father who has saved us through God the Son. So we, we come to what is in a way for us a bit of an abstract, difficult topic, and yet uh, we're speaking about the very person upon whom our spiritual life depends uh, on a daily basis. As Jesus said to his disciples, I will leave you the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who will equip you, who will empower you, who will stand beside you, who will help you fight uh, your, your cause uh, for the cause of God, for the kingdom of God. And that's the one whom we're going to, we're going to look at at the study to find out a wee bit more over the next few weeks. So the Holy Spirit is God with us. Uh, Jesus was God with, with us in the sense of, of literally being physically present. And he has left us his Holy Spirit so that we may continue the task which he gave to his disciples. So we're going to find out a wee bit more and uh, study together and learn about this Holy Spirit. And perhaps we do neglect to a degree, but without him we can achieve absolutely nothing.
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for for Jesus, for his life, for his death. Uh, Thank you that in him we have salvation. And thank you that when he returned to heaven, you didn't leave us to fend for ourselves, but that you came in the form of your Holy Spirit uh, to equip us and to enable us as individuals and as churches to continue the work of spreading the gospel. And so, Father, we pray that you will again fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to be open to his working in our lives. Empower us, equip us, change us. Give us strength to uh, defeat Satan as he seeks to tempt us and to cause us to sin. And Father, help us to trust in your Spirit's work in our lives, in the lives of our loved ones, in the lives of this town uh, and our nation and our world. And Father, we pray that he will continue to be active, building uh, your church and bringing glory to your name. And we pray uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.